Hi everyone and welcome to the Real World Behavioural Science Show. It's mid-June here and we are still in a very strange lockdown period in the UK. Uh, I also have to apologise because this is actually coming out two weeks later than I'd anticipated, but we at Busybodies are working double time to support people to be healthy throughout this period because obviously people need support now to be healthy at home more than ever. So uh, apologies about that, but I'm glad to be bringing you today's show. Uh, hopefully all, for, all will be forgiven. We've actually recorded this show back in October, which feels like an absolute lifetime ago at the moment, but we delayed putting it out because the tool that we're discussing today was delayed in being released um, from Health Education England. But it is a great tool and it is out now and the team behind it are excited to see what people think of it. So it's a great time for this show to come out. Um, just as a reminder, we are recording this show on behalf of the uh, Behavioural Science and Public Health Network, the BSPHN, and they exist to spread the word about the importance and usefulness of behavioural science in public health. And that's why I love making the show, because I basically get to learn about behavioural science from the best people around the world and top experts in many fields, from academia, from industry and from the field of health and public health. Uh, if you want to join the BSPHN, and they really are a great bunch and I wholeheartedly recommend it it's um it's full of world-renowned experts and you can join for just 25 pounds if you're working or 10 pounds if you're not or if you're a student so please do go on to www.bsphn.org.uk and join why not do it literally right now you could do it whilst listening to this show go on um as a quick aside i wondered how many of you caught the nudge stock uh, experience last week, Nudgestock 2020. I absolutely loved it. It was 12 hours of amazing speakers, incredibly entertaining people with some of the most innovative ideas on how behavioural science is being used around the world right now. Um, if you have time at the moment during lockdown or at the weekends, I can't tell you how highly I recommend this enough. Put in some time aside to watch these speakers and it's completely free. Normally it's an event that you'd have to pay to go to. 30,000 people plus went to it. Um, all you have to do is Google Nudgestock 2020 on YouTube and uh, there's three videos that are split into four hour sections. So that covers the 12 hours. Um, particular highlights, I have to say for me, I mean, they were all really, really worth giving uh, a go. But my, my big highlights were Brie Williams, um, who did a great, great talk. It, it starts with her in a, a chicken hat or a shark hat or something, eating cake and getting caught out. So, it, I mean, that, that's a great start to a show for me. Um, Adam Ferrier was particularly entertaining and very, very interesting. And Jali Kelkar, um, Rory Sutherland of Ogilvy Consulting. And if you're looking for a book recommendation, I have to say this is one of the best books I've read in years. Alchemy is Rory's book. Uh, Dan Ariely, no need to say more about him. Dan McCoskey was an interesting one. He's from Lloyd's, uh, Lloyd's Bank of all places. Um, it was great insight into how people experience money in their bank and the way that they've approached that. And I didn't think that would be as interesting as it was. Uh, no offense, Dan, but it was actually fantastic. Patrick Fagan, who was from Cambridge Analytica, talking about ethics. I know what you're thinking, but give it a chance. It was, it's actually a really interesting perspective on um, you know, using data ethically. Uh, Paul Dolan from the LSE, talking about coronavirus and particularly with a view uh, on inequality. Dilip Soman, don't need to say any more. Cass Einstein, again, not, not need to say any more. He was talking about how change happens. And a particularly entertaining one by Diana Fleischman and Je Jeffrey Miller uh, in a hilarious joint session on evolutionary psychology. Um, and I, I mean, I could go on. That was supposed to be a top three. Um, and I got a bit carried away. Sorry about that. But I, I really loved the event. I highly recommend going and checking it out. Um, so 
Apologies for today. So back to today's show. I, I need to apologize because the sound is a little bit off because these shows, you know, we can call it real world behavioral science. These shows take place where we can find uh, the time and the space to interview these people. We have to fit into some, some um, you know, a lot of people's schedules. And this one was particularly difficult because there was three people, um, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, but it was like there was some sort of wind farm outside. It was, it was, and it was actually a, um, an air conditioning farm, I think, for the whole building. Uh, I think it was UCLA. It might have been University of London. I can't remember now. Um, but that is very audible in the background. So apologies that you can hear that. Hopefully that won't... We, we tried to control it with the mics, but because there was three of them, we had to have a, a more open mic that we all talked into. Um, so sorry about the sound, but it is a really great show. And um, it, despite the delay in getting it out to you, um, obviously because of um, both the fact that the, the, the tool was delayed and then, and then COVID sort of knocked everything out too, um, the tool is out. And um, I'm, I'm really pleased to be bringing this to you and, and for, for you to hear from M. Rahman um, and from Aoife Fortescue-Webb um, and Ashley Malimba, um, who've been working on creating and releasing this behaviour change development framework, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, this is very much about the workforce. So this is about either people getting trained who want to be trained in, in um, you know, different levels of um, intervention um, and supporting people, or for the whole workforce, it could be from, from a, a, you know, a managerial perspective. Uh, and this can be for anyone from, from uh, who's working with the public, from librarians to GPs. You know, there really is a, a broad range of, of um, people that can be trained through this. Um, and I think today's show is a really good overview of a very useful tool. But I, I won't keep wasting time telling you about it here. I'll let you tell them about it. So uh, over to the show. Okay, today I'm here with Aoife Fortescue-Webb, who is a public health registrar at Warwickshire County Council Public Health Team, M. Rahman from Health Education England Wessex, and M. is the Head of Public Health Workforce Development, and Ashley Malimba, who is a health psychologist from Healthy Dialogues. Welcome to the show. Thanks Thank you great to be here. Thank you. Um, great. So if we just start by um, telling us a little bit about who you are and your journeys to where you are now. So Aoife, why don't you start? Sure. So at the moment, I am a public health specialty registrar for the NHS, which is a part of a five-year training scheme to become a public health consultant. Uh, so we concern ourselves with all matters of public health, and I'm just at the beginning of that journey. But I, uh, in a previous life, uh, recently was a uh, uh, leading on behaviour change at the SDP level in local authority. So that's essentially looking at the whole system and seeing how we can embed behaviour change. Yeah. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is going to very much come from that work. And uh, prior to that, I was an independent uh, behaviour change consultant. And prior to that, I worked in uh, marketing and public relations. So. Wow. Quite a long journey here. Okay, great, fantastic. M, how about you? Um, so, um, so uh, as you said, uh, my name's M Rahman, and I'm head of public health workforce development. Uh, my current role is around supporting uh, workforce development of the core public health workforces, and also looking to the wider workforce workforces, um, looking at what are the opportunities to embed prevention and population health skills within that. Um, my background is in 
um, uh, health promotion and public health um, and um, I've worked um, at regional levels uh, supporting behaviour change programmes such as the health trainer model um, across the south central region and previous to that uh, building uh, public health capacity across voluntary sector um, projects focusing on healthy eating, mental health and physical activity. Wonderful. Okay, great. And, and last but no, no means least, Ashley. Thank you. I'm a health psychologist and I've been working in the field of behaviour change in about, for about 15 years, um, mostly around upskilling the workforce in having those behaviour change conversations, but in recent years it's more about bringing in the behavioural science elements to, to those conversations and to strategies as well. Um, the company... My company is Healthy Dialogues and we are a public health and behaviour change consultancy for the public sector, so we work a lot on strategy and training. Yeah, okay, great, <laughs> okay. Um, and, and one of the reasons that we're here today is to talk about the behaviour change development framework, which is something that you've all been working on together. How long have you been working on that project for? Um, so, um, um, I think since 2015-16, um, and we've been developing it in different phases, so the first was to develop the, the framework itself um, and then once that was finalised we then moved in on to how do we actually translate that into a toolkit that people can then use to uh, develop behaviour change. Okay, great. And um, so why don't you, I want to go back to you as, as people a little bit more um, just to find out what your day-to-day -day role entails because I don't think everyone will necessarily know what the Head of Workforce Development for Public Health actually does every day or, or a public health registrar for people who aren't part of the NHS or the public health system they might not know what the day-to-day the -day is in that. Health psychologists we've had a few on so I hope people do know what that means but I'm still interested to hear a little bit more about what your day-to-day -day work looks like and feels like. Actually why don't you start we'll go back. Oh my goodness there's no day there's no um, routine I think at the minute every day is a little different. Um, this week, <laughs> this mm -hmm. week, um, it's a Monday. So. It's a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> this week, um, I'm training up cancer nurses and allied health professionals on motivation interviewing, um, to bolster their conversations with their patients so that they can self-manage conditions um, a little bit better. Um, later on, I'm this week. I'm working with Merton businesses who are upskilling their staff to make health behaviour changes and making changes to their own work environments so that they can support their staff to make health behaviour changes um, primarily on stress management, resilience, things like that. Um, I don't know what else I do, every day is different. Um, Just there something you can say as much as you want? Develop that, uh, that, that training prospectus for the, the public health what are they called? The society, what's the... the Royal Or RSPH, which is how we found, actually, was uh, she developed a really amazing behaviour change uh, course prospectus, wasn't it? Or, yeah. Is this ringing a bell? I know what you're talking about. Aoife knows what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't working on it this week, but... Aoife, what else has she been doing? I remember the first time I spoke with Ashley, because I had been looking at her... Um, really good outline of a training program for behaviour change and I was looking at it thinking perfect this is what we need 
and I remember speaking to her on the phone and telling her how amazing it was and she said well I looked at your framework and I think it's really good so uh, I think we instantly kind of bonded over how great we thought each other's work was <laughs> it's always a good point of bonding uh, but I think it's definitely the skills that Ashley's been bringing to this has been that just deep knowledge of what works in practice in terms of training and implementation mm -hmm. and having obviously as a health psychologist having this really broad breadth of knowledge about not just behaviour change but psychological models and theories behind that. That's what, my hot what take. A wonderfully <laughs> succinct way of just now this is going to be immortalised so you can just use that in the future and, <laughs> and someone asks you what you do just wait a minute let me just play you. <laughs> People's description. Um, okay, uh, thank you very much, Ashley. Uh, and um, talk to us a little bit more because there was some, there was unknowingly to you, there was a little bit of jargon in what you described when you said what you did there. So um, I'm interested for people who are working in industry and all those types of other uh, listeners who don't know anything about the NHS or the workforce development side. What what are you doing on a day to day? What projects are you involved in that sort of brought you to this this project that you've been been involved in? Sure. So I would say that, similar to Ashley, that there's um, no day is, is the same for me. There's, there's real variety in the role that I do, which is probably why um, I've been in this role for the longest ever in my working career, because it's always mm. kind of keeping me interested, stretching me, uh, sometimes completely out of my comfort zone, but, but that's good. Um, so um, so um, a large part of our work is around looking at uh, the training and educational needs of the core public health workforce. And, uh, and the core public health workforces are those that are working in local authority public health teams, public health commission services like behaviour change, lifestyle services, stop smoking services, and also um, colleagues that are working in Public Health England. <coughs> and there are obviously people working and contributing to public health that work in the voluntary sector, in the NHS, and, and so forth. So and your job involves working with those two, does it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So right. our role is around saying, okay, so how can we develop the competencies and the capabilities of the workforces so that we have a consistent approach to delivery of public health um, and so the kind of programs that we run we have a, a professional development program called the public health practitioner registration program and that supports individuals to produce a portfolio of evidence against a set of standards to then be a registered practitioner um, so we run that across uh, Wessex and then the other part of my role in terms of the projects that I'm involved in is what we kind of class as our wider kind of workforce development projects so one of them is our making every contact count program so uh, we um, from health education england in wessex deliver uh, um, and, and manage um, our mech healthy conversation skills training program or making every contact count which stands for mech um, and that's really targeted at the wider workforce is building uh, behavior change skills in a practical interactive way so that when people are engaging with the public and patients they're using a behavioural change approach to support mm -hmm. and, and how much of your work is about then, how, how do you understand the, um, the needs of the workforce because the workforce you described there was quite diverse yeah. and so how do you try and understand what they really need because um, yeah. 
you know, in each of the different fields and each of the different levels. Yeah. So I would say that the, the, the role that I have and the work that our organisation does and my team, we have a um, what I would say is a, a strategic kind of perspective to the work that we do, and that's where we would work with STPs. Um, and, um, and STPs being the... STPs being the Sustainability and Transformation Plans, uh, where one of the work streams is around prevention. So we will work with them to say, to identify what the training educational needs are. We also work with our directors of public health um, in the region to understand uh, what the needs are there and also with our Public Health England colleagues. Great, thank you very much. Okay, and Aoife, what do you think M does? <laughs> no, just Aoife, what do you do? Just talk about your role a little bit more and what, what a Public sure. Health Specialty Registrar does. So, Public Health Specialty Registrar, as I said, is a training pathway to become a Public Health Consultant. And what a Public Health Consultant is, essentially, is like a doctor but instead of for individuals, it's for a whole population or subpopulations. It's the only uh, medical specialty training you can undertake as a non-medic. So I came from a behavioural science background. Uh, I did a master's in health psychology. Uh, but what we do day to day is a lot of it is about um, looking at the evidence, synthesising it and seeing how we apply it. So for example, I'm working on... Um, the smoking and pregnancy strategy at the moment in Warwickshire and uh, part of my role there is looking at the uh, evidence around what increases referral rates to smoking cessation services for pregnant women. So I'll be looking at all the evidence, I'll be trying to see which is most applicable in our area, which will work in the system we're working in and see what, which is the best evidence base. And based on that, I'll be making recommendations as to what trusts, uh, uh, non-foundation trusts, will do to increase their numbers. Great, okay, fantastic. Um, and so we, we met at the Public Health England annual conference. Yeah. Uh, I came to speak to you, um, but I didn't need to because Eva already said that you would do this interview. <laughs> uh, and uh, you've got them back by dragging them along yeah. to the interview. <laughs> One of the things we're here to talk about is the Behaviour Change Development Framework, um, which is the project that you've all been working on together for some time that we mentioned earlier. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what, what actually is the, the BCDF, as you're calling it? Yeah, the Behaviour Change Development Framework is um, essentially a framework that helps us to understand what level of behaviour change training specific segments, sections of the workforce need um, which is informed by the service user need. So the, ultimately it's about ensuring that the workforce are receiving proportionate and appropriate level training um, in order to support and address their service user needs. And um, can you talk a bit more about, about what it is then? So what, what physically is it? Is it a website? Is it an app? Is it like a, a, a prospectus? How is it set up? Sure. So, so um, the the behaviour change development framework. It's an online toolkit. Um, so um, it um, and it has a number of different components to it, um, which starts from uh, being able to um, assess a workforce to understand what level of behaviour change training they may need, yeah. um, and then it has learning resources uh, within this toolkit so that people can then start to identify what does that level of behaviour change training look like. Um, 
and then there's a number of kind of tra uh, resources that are that we've kind of gathered from the system to help with the behaviour change okay. development. So essentially, it's an online toolkit um, to support behaviour change development of the workforce. Great. Okay. And um, what was it that made you create the tool? Why did you? You know, what evidence did you have that this was needed? How did you go about creating it? So um, it was something that actually started off um, in. Uh, in Wessex through some discussions with, with colleagues when we were looking at behaviour change development um, and um, really started off when we started developing our Making Every Contact Count programme mm -hmm. which it, we position as a very brief intervention slash brief intervention training um, and we developed a, a kind of a pyramid using the NICE guidance around the four levels of behaviour change interventions which mm -hmm. are known as very brief intervention brief intervention, extended and high intensity. And the reason why we developed that pyramid to position where our Making Every Contact Count program fitted in was to then say, actually, Making Every Contact Count training isn't the solution to everything, that actually there is training and, and interventions that happen at the other levels. And this is about us kind of um, developing behavior change skills at scale at a, a broader level. Um, and so, so for um, for listeners who aren't aren't aware of making every contact count or MEC, you, you mentioned it earlier. What what types of people or what types of roles are really well suited to something like MEC? Just to give us some context of what that is, yeah. and, and therefore understand what was missing on either side of it. Yeah. So, so for us, it's um, it's it's a broad section of the workforce, and it's workforces that have an opportunity to um, talk about health and well-being um, at a opportunistic level so it's those very short conversations that may be you know um, 30 seconds to a couple of minutes um, and the people that we've trained in those skills are community librarians um, allied health professions uh, practice nurses GP so it's a real broad but it's about um, using behavior change skills maximizing on that short amount of time that you have and, and so you, you, that was a broad range from librarians to GPs, yeah. but, but I mean, the people, are there people sort of who are across the health, public health, social care industry that you're training, like um, people who are coming into contact with people much more frequently than, say, GPs? GPs are seeing X number of people per hour, but there are people who are sort of seeing ad administrative assistants and people like that. Yeah. Are those the types of people that are more um, suited to the MEC? style of training yeah so it is for people that are addressing service users needs that is mainly an administrative need yeah. or it's a one-off uh, type of contact so the focus for when you look at a very brief intervention um, which is what our making every contact count program is it's more focused around the amount of time that you have with that person mm -hmm. um, so it's a short kind of conversation okay fine great um, and, okay, so then, and so you you identified that the there was the mech that that wasn't, yeah. you know, that wasn't suitable for all all different professions and all different people in those professions. So, or it might be, well, suitable for them, but not yeah, sufficient, if you like. <laughs> yeah, suitable but not sufficient. So one of the things that we tried to make clear with the new framework was that actually, if you're uh, what we call BC level two, which is brief and extended brief interventions, if you need training to that level, you do also need those uh, very brief conversation skills because you might not always have an opportunity to use the more brief, extended brief uh, skills. 
and it might be only appropriate to use those very brief intervention skills with certain people. Uh, so we really underline that it's more incremental than discrete, if that makes sense. It makes sense sat here and watching your arms <laughs> move and everything, but I wonder if we okay. could delve into it in a bit more detail. Sure. So, so I think the language might get confusing on, uh, you know, in just listening to it as well with the brief and the extended brief. Um, okay, so, so, so more concrete about it. No, no, I, j- just I think probably we, we want to let's 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 layer it up then. So so you, you said so there's there's four levels of the training. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So I think it would be useful to kind of uh, explain how we've tried to use the nice guidance to then develop this framework. Because I think that. In my head, anyway, it kind of makes it a bit more clearer. Okay. Um, so, um, so we we positioned MEC as a very brief intervention within those four levels of the Nice Guidance, which talks about very brief, brief, extended, and high intensity interventions. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we became aware of was that actually there were people that were receiving two days motivational interviewing training when actually the only contact that they had with patients and the public was a very short amount of time. So they would never use the two days motivational interview mm. training that mm. they received to its to its maximum. Yeah. So actually, what it was a, essentially a kind of, you know, a waste of resources, I suppose, or a, a misuse of those resources because actually them receiving MET training would have been sufficient. So, um, so uh, Aoife and I then met um, and were introduced to each other and Aoife's kind of uh, passion for behavioural science uh, kind of um, took over a little bit um, and uh, we started to have a discussion around how can we translate the NICE guidance which talks about these four interventions and actually start to look at them through a workforce lens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the NICE guidance talk describes what an extended or a high-intensity intervention would look like, and there's a number of examples around that. But actually, what was missing to a certain extent was, well, what are the workforce training and educational needs that are required for each of these levels? Yeah. So that's when kind of Rifa and I started to work together on... Um, looking at you know how do we then develop um, something I don't think even it was even a framework at that point it was a case of let's just find out and talk to people um, um, to then start to understand what whatever the end product is could look like okay could I add that I from my experience this has been attempted many times before okay. and the reason why I loved this framework it was developed before I came into the project was because it flipped it in it on its head instead of it being about what the workforce needs it was about what the service user needed and that um, yes workforce needs to be trained in this level this level but actually why was that and it's because the service user, user needs this particular kind of help and that's the kind of training we need to focus on um, that's why I thought it was a beautiful <laughs> piece of work I think that I think that's a really that's a really lovely observation because um, um, sure Aoife can talk about what the different levels mean but I think one of the things that we really found difficult was actually how do we position this framework so you know um, because there there is an element of you know the specific characters um, characteristics of a role the grading of a role the seniority of a role which can make the assumption that actually because I'm working at a higher grade therefore I should have higher level behavior change training mm-hmm. so you know, and and it became a bit of a, a task to kind of organise that. But actually, um, 
looking at it from a person-centred approach and kind of going, well, actually, let's put the, the service user in a centre. What is it that they need? Mm. And therefore, what is it that they need to the workforce to do? Was a, It's a really simple way of looking at it, and I think it just put everything into place, uh, mm-hmm. which then allowed us to develop the, the framework as it is. Okay, fantastic. And, and so, um, Eva, why don't you talk to us about the levels and what they... Sure. Well, um, I'll talk to you a little bit first, if that's okay, about yes. the uh, the process of getting to the levels and things like putting the patient at the centre of when we're, you know, how we consider uh, workforce development. And it was through a uh, process of interviewing 27 people from across the system, mm-hmm. having long-form conversations with them about, you know, how do you implement the NICE guidance on behaviour change? Uh, what's you know what you find useful what's not useful what are the barriers and facilitators what we discovered was uh, first and foremost people may not be that familiar with the nice guidance on behaviour change at the individual level I find that shocking (laughs) so the whole premise was slightly shot at the first uh, hurdle because you did have a small number of people who are working with for example the pyramid which would which was an extrapolation from the NICE guidance on behaviour change. But then there was people working the system who just may have vaguely heard of it, but fell into the category of too long, didn't read. Uh, So this became a task of implementation. And then part of the implementation is who gets trained in what and why. And through through the series of conversations, it became clear that trying to divide the workforce up in terms of who they were, what their characteristics are, what their role title is, what their banding is, which means like how much they get paid, mm. uh, not exclusively, but that's kind of a key component of it, is just such a mammoth task that you need to go right back to, okay, what does the patient or service user need in this circumstance? What do they expect? Well, if they're coming to you with uh, a health or social care need, so they're there for a GP appointment or a practice nurse appointment, or maybe they're having a meeting with their key worker, their social worker. They'll be expecting health or social care support, and therefore we need to be able to give people in the workforce the tools to uh, build on that opportunity um, by having like motivation interviewing skills or uh, CBT-based skills but also the opportunistic uh, conversation skills that uh, come with making every contact count. And do you think it's as much about practice and therefore confidence as it is anything else with those things? I've delivered training in the past, and a lot of the time it was down to people getting it. They understood it, but Mm -hmm. if they didn't practice it regularly, they just just felt too self-conscious to bring things up sometimes, particularly when their own circumstances were sort of reflected back on the person I work, or because I work in obesity mm. if someone was overweight and they had to do a brief intervention about obesity that would be very uncomfortable for them and so yes. ha- how, do you, how do you get over that yeah absolutely and that was one of the uh, major themes that came up was that gap between information and behaviour mm. is huge so we have a mantra in health psychology that is just information alone will not change behaviour uh, and and so it is also true with implementing guidelines. You can know what the correct way to do things is, you know, and, and you can be really bought into it and think, yes, person-centered care, yes, oh, behavior change at every opportunity. 
but getting to a point of implementing is is a totally different ball game. Mm. So part of what emerged was that need people need to know about the nice guidance. People need to have a nice, easy, uh, fun way of interacting with them, which is what we've tried to do with the framework and toolkit. But also people need tools to embed it, uh, those skills every day. And, and that is why I think the uh, project took on a life of its own, because we realised the gap isn't in like, amazing resources. There are lots of amazing resources. The gap is knowing where to find them and then having support in implementing them and having lots of different ways to implement them. And, and was that the driver for the whole project then, making sure that this had a pragmatic application as opposed to being another learning and development tool for CPD purposes but doesn't actually land in, in any meaningful way? Yeah. Which is why we've the, the, the toolkit is an online toolkit because actually um, it, it could have been very easy just to produce a PDF toolkit with lots and lots of information mm. which is all very helpful and relevant but actually it's not prompting anyone to do anything with that information. Okay um, and then so to move us on a little bit and, and build on that really who is it then that give me some examples of people that would benefit from different levels of training can we do that and, and find out mm. like who is it that's going to get each of the different levels and what would they do in that? What sort of commitment do they need to make to do the training and then, and then how would that benefit them in their role? Is that enough questions for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so the, the, the online toolkit is for both individuals from the workforce and workforce leaders mm -hmm. um, decision makers. Um, from the perspective of an individual, um, say for example a diabetes nurse, they could go on to the toolkit, um, have a little browse and have a go at the level assessment tool where they get to answer a couple of quick questions. It takes no more than two, three minutes um, on what they do, who they work with, um, how long they have with that patient. Um, and from that, then they'll get receive some guidance on what level of behaviour change training they should be going for and what what that level of behaviour change training would entail as well. And typically for probably a diabetes nurse, it might be level two behaviour change, which is kind of motivational interviewing style. And that comes back to the thing that you all mentioned about how many people are you interacting with and at what level yeah. do the assessment to sort of put that into the, to the mix and then it will tell you what level you need rather than you just saying, I fancy level two or three. Exactly, yes. exactly. Because um, some, again, some people might work with um, quite complex patients, but only have a few minutes with them. Mm -hmm. So it, that might require more brief interventions, so that they can refer people to those with maybe level three mm -hmm. training who have that more complex or that more advanced training in behaviour change. And an opportunity to use that for a longer period of time, for example. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned you've, so you've got the, the, the two the two perspectives you've got the individual level assessment and then the workforce leader assessment yes. and so just talk to me a little bit about each of those different so who is a workforce leader in that regard is it someone who's a manager or is it someone who's a you know a CEO of a company or is it someone who's you know a, is there a, a definition of who they are so 
So um, it, it's a really good question, actually. So we, we keep that definition quite broad. So it could be um, a, a manager who has a, a team of five people, mm -hmm. and actually what that manager wants to do is to identify uh, what type of behaviour change or what level of behaviour change training his, his team needs to develop in. So he would, um, or they would, complete that um, uh, level assessment within that capacity or it could be uh, someone who's working at a system level um, at an STP level and actually they are responsible for looking at implementing the uh, prevention element of the long-term plan um, mm -hmm. across this system and part of that is going to be around developing or commissioning uh, behavior change training for the workforces so they would complete it at that level Okay, so it really is that broad. You can have individual team management on one hand and then whole county and beyond yeah. level management and strategic thinking at the other. Yeah. And, okay. and actually you've been uh, working with <laughs> uh, and you've been working with someone who's really been work looking at implementing this framework at that system level. Who's the guy? Do you remember what um, Ashley's been saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find that's Norfolk yeah. uh, County oh. Council. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Right. You need to write more stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> So if I say it again, yes. um, and, and, and actually, oh, I might leave this in. No. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, no. <laughs> he's from Norfolk, right? He's, wasn't he? Uh, um, yeah, so they are revitalising their behaviour change training for across the county and using the, the level assessment tool. Um, they are building a training network um, and a trainer-trainer approach to developing their, their voluntary staff, their public sector staff, and even looking in the private sector staff as well. As well as that, they all will be in embedding the behaviour change literacy training into their own um, e-learning, or their own e-learning portals as well. Um, is this through the, the video? I've been online and said, is this through the videos that you, you're producing, the e-learning portal? Is there more stuff in there? You have a load of videos, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So oh, we can, um, So do you guys work together? <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, it's just because you said portal and HE has a portal, but it's nothing to do with behaviour yes. change. Well, you so. used a learning portal, didn't you? E-learning portal. Yeah, we. Is this different yes. to what you're, you're talking about? <laughs> I'm getting very confused. And if I'm getting confused, saying yeah, here, I think yeah. that other people will be too. Right. <clears throat> so. So there are a couple of videos, animation videos that we've produced um, to, to, to uh, do, do you know what, the, uh, the original purpose of these videos was to um, embed them into our e-learning, which um, Ashley can talk about because she's kind of been leading on the development of those e-learning packages. But, um, but actually those, those resources, they're, they're there for anyone to use and actually I think they they highlight a number of things. So we have one uh, animation video which is what is behaviour change and it follows um, uh, a character who then, um, and we, uh, the, the animation video talks about the journey that they're on, talking about what, um, what behaviour change for this individual means at an individual level, um, how it impacts them from an environmental level and how it impacts them from a policy level. And who's that video for then? Just an, an individual it working in Anyone who wants to know what behaviour change is. And, then, and they can think to themselves, oh, I should do an assessment based on this video that I've watched that says 
what all the different behaviour change yeah, potentially. But actually arose uh, from one of the findings we had, which was there was a huge degree of variation in what people thought behaviour change was. Mm. So a little simple explainer video we thought would be really useful. So you have some camps that think behaviour change is exclusively nudge, environmental restructuring, you know, shaping the environment so that people do the easiest, healthiest thing. And of course that's part of it. Uh, you have others who, when they think of behaviour change, they think exclusively of the high-agency individual level. That is, when someone has to really actively engage in the behaviour change techniques to, uh, to realise their behaviour change. So that is motivational interviewing, one-to-one support. That's the individual level. And oddly, you found when I was interviewing people, you had people have really different perspectives on what you meant by behaviour change. So we just wanted to clarify and have it as a, a resource for people to explain that actually behaviour change is a discipline, but more so it's an aim. And you can marshal all sorts of evidence from across uh, a range of disciplines to affect behaviour change. So that was the real ambition of that video. And, and also with the behaviour change literacy, which Ashley's been leading on, is to say, yes, there's individual level, which our framework's focused on, there's also environmental level and there's also policy level as well. Fantastic. And so can we do some examples of a person working in well, a field of your choice? So, let, I mean, health and social care, let's, let's use those because that's, that's our sort of background. Who's getting what training and what type of commitment uh, is it for them to do and what, what will they then do with it? So that really depends on what service user they're supporting. Um, in Give me an example of, that you can think of. So when, when you were doing this, this development work, you must have done some persona mapping or something about like, the level at which someone's gonna need support. So, you know, who, who are the people that you, you, you thought of when you were developing the, the levels? And, and, and when I mean that, I mean the service users and the people supporting them. And so what would they go through? Have you got any examples? Well, so the first thing we identified was there was a need for behavior change literacy for everyone to understand what we mean uh, when we say behaviour change. Mm-hmm. So that's the one hour e-learning and that's healthy for everyone. So that is, if you're working in, uh, say you're working in a canteen and you're part of the health or social care system, that's if you are a strategic leader and you don't necessarily interact with the public face to face but you are Um, working with your colleagues on a regular basis. So there's a range of people who should be uh, getting the behaviour change literacy training. And that's just to be able to have a meaningful conversation with someone else about behaviour change generally? Uh, It's it's those skills, so those one-to-one skills, communication skills, but it's also more broadly explaining what is behaviour change and the different levels it can work at. So so, so from my perspective, it's about how do we create um, or a consistent kind of literacy level around behaviour change. So we've already heard that actually, you know, uh, an evidence-based uh, approach to behaviour change can have and can have effect. Um, and actually, there are lots of theories and concepts that, that are there, but people out in the system perhaps don't know, and therefore it's, it kind of gives behaviour change a bit of a bad rep because mm-hmm. people are saying, well, it doesn't work really. So this is about just kind of levelling that playing field to say it is a science, There's a net, there's, there are key models that inform the delivery of behaviour change, and this is what it means at the individual level, the environmental level and policy level. So actually 
for it to work, it needs to be happening across those levels. And would you do that as a, as a blanket, so everyone should do that, no matter what? Yeah, absolutely. Great. And from beyond the system as well. Anyone who's interested in behaviour change. Can go and do that. And where do they access that? So um, the, the, the behaviour change literacy e-learning can be accessed through our toolkit. Um, so the URL for that is www.behaviourchange.he.nhs.uk um, and that's where they'll be able to access um, the e-learning and all the other resources and tools that are, that are on there. Great, okay. So that was the first level. What's the next level of training and what types of people are getting it and what are they, what are they doing? What's the commitment from them like and what, they can, what can they do with it afterwards? So, so you've had behaviour change literacy. Everyone needs to do that. That's about an hour commitment and we're going to provide some tools to help embed those skills and that knowledge. After that, we're getting into more the public-facing workforce uh, at the individual level. So this is what we call BC1 or behaviour change level one. And it's very much the very brief interventions. So this would be predominantly for those workforces that are interacting with people uh, uh, who have just a basic admin need for them. So it could be receptionists at a GP office, could be receptionists, for example, in a local authority context. Uh, anyone who is working with people is public-facing but doesn't necessarily have a health or social care responsibility towards the people they're interacting with. So it could with. be a policeman. Absolutely, yeah could be policeman, uh, could be uh, receptionist, as I said, could be someone who is uh, potentially someone who's a health support worker who's working in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Although it's not strictly admin, they mightn't have a hands-on healthcare need. Yeah. So that would be BC1, uh, when you have opportunistic conversations with people. Uh, at that level, we're really looking at training around uh, making every contact count. And that can range from anywhere from two hours training, or more ideally, uh, a whole day of training. And that's where you get your very basic open discovery questions. Mm -hmm. So your open how and what questions to help engage people. Uh, you might learn a little bit about uh, signposting uh, to resources. And it's just giving people the very basic but really important skills of connecting with who they're working with and making sure that they're meeting their needs um, when they're talking to them. Great, okay. I get that, that's good. Okay, so that's the second level. What about level, the third level, BC2? Um, so, BC2 level, um, it's for the workforce who are spending a bit more time with their, their service users or their patients, um, typically more than half an hour or two, a couple of hours. And that'll be about those one-to-one -one conversations about individual conversations about making behaviour change. The training is kind of at a level of motivational interviewing whereby um, the skills that people come away with are those conversational skills like those open discovery questions again, um, reflective listening, um, building self-efficacy and it's also about you know setting a structure for those conversations so for example um, how to set an, a an agenda with a, a service user or a client uh, before your meeting um, so that the conversation is person-centred. Um, how to draw draw from them their, their goals, their their strengths, um, what they need help with, um, so they're helping the client find their own ways through the behaviour change. 
um, conversation. And then um, it's about his goal setting and then how to follow up with those those goals later on and um, navigate through any issues or problems, barriers that they may come across and getting ahead of those. Um, yeah. And so these are for people who are spending how much roughly time is walking with a, with a client or a patient? It's between 10 and 30 minutes. Okay, so actually you can get into some decent conversations in that period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, great. And then, so the last level is BC3? Yes. Yeah. So, so behaviour change level 3 or BC3 is um, really for where service users have multiple complex needs. So actually, uh, where we say BC2, it may be a, a, a specific um, health and social care need, which could be... Um, you know, stopping smoking or weight management, whereas uh, BC3, it's much more complex. Um, and so what the service user needs then in terms of what they need from the workforce are um, people that are, have um, kind of appropriate psychological kind of training, uh, cognitive behavioural therapy type support so that they can really begin to help them unpick some of those complex needs. And, and is this part of the training or is this really saying okay if you're at that level you really need to be a health psychologist or go and be trained in CBT or, or whatever yeah so so that's that, that it's exactly that so we're saying that actually if you're dealing if you're the service users that you're uh, engaging with if they're presenting with complex multiple needs then this is what we would say is the, the, the requirement in terms of what the workforce needs. Now, we recognise that actually there is, um, that, and I would say perhaps for behaviour change level three, there's, a, the, there's an aspiration that this is what we want the workforce to look like, but in reality, there are people that have had, you know, significant amount of behaviour change type training um, that may be focused um, around specific topics and actually as a result of the experiences that they've had of dealing with multiple complex needs they've kind of got those experience to be able to work with them but the aspiration is that we want you know people working at this level really um, you know should have that level of training and education. But it sounds like that, that could actually work in reverse in, in terms of if you are that person who isn't formally trained in you know health psychology CBT all those different sort of disciplines within the health psychology sphere but you find yourself regularly involved in situations when you're dealing with deep complexity um, so like we, we work in in busybodies we do a lot of um, tier two weight management uh, in adults but some of the cases are seriously complex yeah. and our staff are dealing with some things that are that you know that they're not qualified to deal with and when I say dealing with them what I mean is they're trying to sort of ma maintain a relationship with the person because this is the only s service that they'll engage with without losing them but also not trying to overstep their boundaries so mm -hmm. this training when they look at the the BC three level training they might realize I do need to get support for this because I'm dealing with too much outside of my pay grade as it were yeah, yeah. And, and actually um, this was something that we grappled with when we were when we were looking at this that actually um, we're at risk of uh, disengaging and potentially disenfranchising sections of the workforce who are already dealing with this mm. but now feeling that actually does this this framework is telling me that I'm potentially incompetent 
Um, so one of the things that we uh, started to think about was uh, the competency framework. So what are the competencies that are required for each of these levels, behaviour change level one, level two, level three? Um, uh, and what I mean by that is, what is it that we expect the workforce to be doing at each of these levels? And actually then going a little bit further to then starting to articulate what is it that the workforce needs to learn in order to do the doing, which is the competency or the competence to deliver at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that is coming. It's not going to be launched as part of our phase one launch um, in February, mm-hmm. um, but it will be later on. Uh, and what we've done is we've taken um, two uh, competency frameworks, essentially the Dixon Johnston Compet- Health Behaviour Change Competency Framework and also the person-centred approaches framework and began to look at using those to adapt it to ours. So when you have that situation that you described um, where you've got members of the workforce that are working with complex needs and actually they're continuing to work with them because they see that actually this person needs to be engaged and supported, Mm. that the competency tool and the learning outcomes and potentially some learning resources that we'll look at um, embedding as part of the tool will then help to get them to start reflecting on what are the kind of things they might want to do. And, and as you said, I think it is really important to highlight that fact that it's aspirational, but that we really, if we want parity of esteem for mental and physical health, we have to acknowledge it's not always fair to put people in a position with maybe two days of training to deal with really complex, uh, maybe emotional, physical and psychological needs. So it's providing that support, but it is perhaps giving people an opportunity to kind of say, well, you know, I am dealing with this, I need to get support to get that extra training, and empowering them as well as the workforce leaders to kind of say, okay, we we do need to skill up, uh, at least a few people in our workforce need to be uh, trained to this level three. Yeah. behaviour change. I think that's a, that's a really core point because there's probably quite a lot of people who are overstretched really in terms of skills and it's their passion for the job and supporting mm. others that makes them want to do that and then you're at the risk of, it, it, with physical health everyone understands you wouldn't give medical advice if you weren't a doctor, well some yeah. people do, but, but you, you wouldn't really, but happy to give my common sense advice from you know old wives tales or, or things that you've done in your life but Absolutely. aren't necessarily evidence-based um, because it's not as ov- overtly clear to them that that's technically that's the job of a, of a you know someone who's been trained in in, in that, that that field that's an interesting point but if if people like that are listening you're saying very clearly don't be put off go and get, look at the competency framework and get some support to sort of make sure you're not put in, an, in a position that you're Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. The the competencies help us to realise what we are what we already are good at, what we can already do, but also then where the gaps are in our learning so that we can plug those gaps and get the appropriate training in different places. So sometimes it might be to go to an intensive course that'll teach us everything we need to know and then some cases it might be just to bolster these particular skills with certain bits of training or self-directed learning. Right, okay, so, so at any level that could be true, so it will highlight things that, that you might want to or need to go and sort of look for support in. Yeah, absolutely, and I think in any face-to-face training sometimes you will need to go back and refresh your training as well. Yeah. And, absolutely. And, 
And, and the thing you get with like a level two, level three uh, training is you probably have the kind of support and mentorship that's really needed, you know, for those high intensity situations. Mm. It's not just people can have the skills. It's like, do they have the extended skills that can keep themselves mentally and emotionally safe mm -hmm. in those situations? So we think it's it's not about saying, oh, well, if you're working with these highly complex uh uh, patients or service users, you know, you're not doing a good job necessarily if you if you haven't got a degree or a PhD in a certain area. But it's about acknowledging that these are quite often pretty high stakes contexts, and we as the system need to acknowledge that uh, if we want people to work and we want them to do well in these contexts, they really need that extra support. And it could be education, it could be mentorship, but we need to acknowledge the reality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and from a follow-up perspective, is there any is there any follow-up now for people so they do the training and then they can stick with the portal to obviously go up the levels presumably? But is there any planned follow-up or follow-up that exists at the moment? Just to clarify, actually, with this, so in terms of in terms of the the, the behaviour change level one, behaviour change level two, behaviour change level three elements of the um, the toolkit um, that. What we're, what we're providing is uh, information on what we mean by that level, what the competencies that um, are required for each of these levels, and then learning outcomes potentially of, you know, what is it that they would be learning. But, but we're not providing the training or the learning. It's, yeah. That is then about how it's being kind of used and implemented locally. So I think the other great thing, though, is that you know, once we have the competency tool and the learning outcomes in place, um, that's going to be a, a great resource for training providers as they develop their training. You know, it could be a way of them mapping what yeah. they're currently providing as behaviour change and say, and, and then kind of use that as a bit of a marketing tool to say, actually, this is a behaviour change level two training uh, programme or this is a behaviour change level three training programme because they've mapped it against the competencies. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point, actually, that, that, that organisations who are delivering the training may map, map it back to that because it's actually a business opportunity for them to be able to, to provide the service and sort of benefit the people who have been identified with that need in yeah. the first place. And, and also um, for commissioners, so whether you're a learning and development lead in an organisation who's used the level assessment to then identify that you need to develop your workforce in behaviour change level two training, you can then use the competency tool to then either develop it in-house or if, you, if you've got some resources to commission some training, you could just give them that and say, this is, these are the learning outcomes that we want you to be training our workforce in. Well, I think it sounds great and um, I'm really excited that it's been released. So um, where can people go to actually use the service right now? So where, where should they log on to right now? We go to behaviourchangedevelopment.org and you'll see there we have the uh, framework outline, we have the assessment tool, and we also have the behaviour change literacy e-learning, and we have an, an array of tools uh, to support behaviour change across the system in our toolkit, uh, which I think is actually quite an exciting part of the toolkit. We've done the work on the, the different levels, and uh, figuring out what competencies you need at the different levels. Mm -hmm. But then we've got this whole other aspect, which is getting some of the best resources available out there. Uh, we're talking about the EAST framework, we're talking the behaviour change wheel, uh, the NICE guidance on behaviour change, 
person-centred approaches framework, putting them all in one place and uh, telling people how long it will take them to uh, read or engage with the tool or the e-learning and uh, giving them some ideas how they can actively start implementing behaviour change straight away. And this is for anyone who wants to go to the site? There's not this aimed at anyone specific? Nope. This is for everyone who has an interest in behaviour change. What's really great about the, 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 the tools and the resources that we've kind of brought together uh, and sign, are essentially signposting people to is that we've, um, we've mapped them so that um, one part of it is accessed with a, um, a workforce leader lens. So if you're someone who um, wants to develop the case for behaviour change, then there are a whole range of resources there. If you're involved in planning and commissioning behaviour change, then it kind of takes you to those resources that are specific to that. If you're around, if you're if you're interested in wanting to embed behaviour change, then it kind of takes you to that. And then you've got the, the access to an individual lens, so an individual member of the workforce who wants to develop their own behaviour change skills so it takes you through a learning kind of journey where you uh, a learning kind of link where you can click into it and it just signposts you to other population health public health behaviour change related training resources um, and also then focuses on delivering behaviour change so if you've got the skills but actually you want to further strengthen your role in delivering behaviour change then it again signposts you to that um, which I think, um, re- I mean, um, we've, we've used um, a behavioural science approach to developing that section so that... I would be, I would be surprised if you didn't use a behavioural science approach well, to your behavioural science. you'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually because a lot of behaviour change literature is academic, you know, it can be a bit... Uh, academic to the final intended user for totally understandable reasons because they have to retrace their steps and show how they got to that point and so uh, actually isn't as easy as it sounds to be the behaviour change you want to see in the world uh, which is what we've tried to do with this so we've taken a creative approach uh, so we had a, um, a games developer facilitate a creative session with ourselves and people from around the system uh, to try and get the best ideas and the best ways of making it engaging and interesting to them. Um, and we've worked with on the animation uh, to explain the various uh, concepts. We worked with uh, an animation company uh, called Paper Panther and they were uh, really interesting to work with. They took a very creative approach and they also had a, uh, a musician who developed uh, music especially for the videos we had uh, a poet working on the script, Ashley's, mainly Ashley's scripts, uh, to help make that more interesting and more engaging. A so poet? We, yes, Helen Moore. Was it all rhyme? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Modern poetry. Okay. Uh, well, so she, she, didn't, she didn't write the script as such, but what she did, she helped us refine it, and then she was the voiceover artist for the videos. Um, wow. So we're really trying to... You're right, like always when we're doing behaviour change, we should be using behaviour change person-centred approach. But one of the things we've tried to do is, yes, it's about person-centred care, but the person in this case is the learner, is the user. And so we need to try and give them as much care and attention uh, attention and engagement as we expect them to deliver to uh, patients and service users. So that that's the aim. Uh, as we refine it and we do take an iterative approach, we will see how effective that has been. 
and we will make changes and tweaks along the way so that the final product will hopefully be very person-centred and very behaviour-changing. And I, and I actually think that's worth uh, reiterating that this is brand new and a test, basically, of you know your, your, your work over the last however many months, stroke... Years? Years. And so when people use it, you know, if there are bits that don't work or bits that they don't quite get, then that feedback would be really useful to you because you're you, you know going in that you, you need feedback to be able to refine and improve it. So if you are gonna go and use it then then please do make sure you give feedback and and um, it will help to improve the process as, as you go along. You're, you're, you're scientists at the end of the day, you're trying to sort of test and iterate and test and iterate. And so it's important that people know that because although it looks great, it's not the end product, it's the starting product. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if people want to go to it, they can just go to behaviourchangedevelopment.org and uh, access the tool, go and use it, give some feedback, do a self-assessment and um, look at what their uh, behaviour change literacy is like and you know, what they might need for their organisation if they're a manager or what they might need personally if they're doing it from a personal perspective. Um, so thanks so much for your, your time today, guys. It's really interesting to hear about the tool and I wish you all the best with it. I hope that listeners go on and use it and give you lots of feedback. Um, are you on social media at all that, you, that people can get hold of you if they want to get hold of you directly? Are you not allowed sure. to talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> you, you all look like sure. <laughs> you all look like you've never heard of social media. So. Um, yeah, so so I am. So um, I'm, I'm on Twitter um, uh, as uh, M Udjol. So that's E M U W J O L, um, and I'm also on LinkedIn as M Uh I for some reason have uh, fallen into LinkedIn being my main form of social media. Me too. But, I don't know why. I think there's loads of great articles there. (laughs) We can just keep resharing articles. Uh, Stu's articles, actually. Yes, share my articles. (laughs) Uh, So you can get me on LinkedIn at Aoife Fortescue Web. So So easy to say. So easy. Spell Spell it for us. So it's A-O-I-F-E. And then Fortescue Web is F-O-R-T-E-S. C-U-E hyphen W-E-B-B. How many times have you spelt that to people when you're ringing up about insurance? <laughs> well, most people get stuck on the first day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. But then you they get past that and they say, what's the other one? How many times I get Mr. Oaf, Oaf the Fortescue uh, <laughs> yes, But Yeah, so LinkedIn is the main one for me. Um, so I can be reached at itch dialogues underscore uk that's my twitter account great okay thanks guys so much for all of your time and uh, i wish you all the best with the project brilliant thank you very much lovely thank you Okay, just wanted to reiterate my thanks there to M and to Aoife and to Ashley for a great show. Uh, as I said before, that was recorded some time ago, but I, they, they've only just released this tool and it is a beta. You can go on there and test it and um, they'd love to hear what you think about it because it's always going to be one of those things that improves over time. Um, that said, there is it's a really high quality tool. So get yourself onto the website to go and check that out. And um, you know whether you're a manager or whether you uh, run a business, whether you're working in academia or in industry or in in health, in in the government, um, then 
go on and check it out. You can either bring that to your team and it's completely free or you can go on and assess where you are in terms of um, your own training needs potentially. So go on and check it out and please do give us some feedback. I'd love to hear from you what you thought of it as well. Uh, if, you can, if you can get hold of me, you can do that on uh, Stu underscore King underscore HH on Twitter or find me on LinkedIn, Stuart King. Um, and I would love to hear what you thought of both the show and also of the tool. Um, we'll be back again next month with a fantastic guest, which will be Professor Ivo Vlaev. Uh, he's got some really interesting views on uh, how the behavioural sciences are applied in the real world. So uh, I look forward to bringing you that next month, and I hope you're all staying safe and well during this period. And I am also hoping to be bringing out a show with the wonderful Jim and Susan, who have been doing the specials with me on coronavirus. So I hope to be bringing one of those out in the next few weeks. Um, but in the meantime, take care of yourselves, take care of your families and take care of each other. <laughs>